Welcome home. I'm John Hernandez, and you have tuned in to the CFA Church Podcast. If you have any questions about CFA Church, feel free to visit us at cfachurch.com. We pray that you would walk away from this moment loving Jesus and changing the world. Enjoy the podcast. Well, we want to welcome all of our locations today. Hey, Concord, can you help me? Let's give a round of applause to Davidson and The Loft, Adulting Teen Challenge Online. You guys are all family, one church, many locations, this multiply family of churches. I Look, I got my, I got my work cut out for me. I'm going to earn my paycheck today. Uh, with the 11:30 crowd, the, with the with our early service, um, can I just tell? I'm just gonna uh, tell you up front. Here's my entire job today: is to convince you to be in this auditorium or to be in the loft in Davidson at six o'clock in the morning for the next ten days. That's what I thought. Okay. See the 8.30 crowd, they're like, yeah, 6 o'clock in the morning, no problem. We've been up since 4.30. The 8.30 service to them, uh, they leave that service and go to lunch, and, and then they go back to bed. And, and it's this, I've got, I got to, I got to work you. Um, I got to convince you that 6 in the morning exists, and, and then I got to convince you that, like, to, to get up and get going. But, but listen, I really, I really believe that. Um, if we make God's priority or, or his presence our priority, that you're going to receive, receive an amazing uh, blessing on the other side of this. So, so look, that's my, al- my altar call, okay? My altar call is not today. My altar call is 6 o'clock tomorrow morning right here in Concord or at Davidson. Uh, turn to your neighbor. Tell them I'm going uh, to call you at 5. Go ahead. I'm going I'm to be over. Tell them, tell them that you'll pick them up. You get them here. Let's turn to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6. Jesus, help me. (laughs) 2 Samuel chapter 6. Beginning of verse 1. Then David again gathered the elite troops. Tell your neighbor you're elite. Tell him him you're in the honors class. Tell him you made the all-star team. David gathered the elite troops, 30,000 in all. And he led them to Bala of Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. And they put the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, which is the New York pronunciation of Ohio. (laughs) All my New York people, shout out to the New Yorkers in the house. Anybody from New York? Come on, let me hear you. There you go. Abinadab's sons were guiding the cart that carried the ark of God, and Ahio walked out in front of the ark. And David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled. And Uzzah reached out of his hand and steadied the ark of God, and then the Lord's anger aroused, was aroused against Uzzah. And God struck him dead because of this, so Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God, and that makes a uh, difficult Sunday morning service, no matter, no matter who your pastor is, no matter what church you go. That's, a, it's a, that's difficult to recover from on a, on a worship experience. So David was angry because of the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah, and David was now afraid of the Lord. 
And he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? And so David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. And instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. And the ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his, and his entire household. Last paragraph here, a lot of scripture. Stay with me. Verse 12, then King David was told, the Lord had blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. And so David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might, wearing a priestly garment. And so David and all of the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. To understand the significance of this story, we've got to understand a little bit of the backstory. So what was the Ark of the Covenant and why was it so important that the Ark of the Covenant was brought back to Jerusalem? See, the people of God were marked by the presence of God. When God formed the nation of Israel, he said, you are going to be blessed. You're going to be favored. You're going to walk and you're going to carry an anointing. And, and that was marked not by their skin color, not marked by ritual, not marked by any exterior things. That was marked by they were the, the people of God that carried the presence of God. And so that was made manifest by an outward symbol under the old covenant before Jesus. It was the Ark of the Covenant. And as long as the people of Israel carried the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark was a symbol of the presence of God. And that was a symbol that the Lord would go before them and they would be successful in, in, in battle. That was a symbol of his protection, his hand of protection against disease and the other things. That was a symbol of the blessing upon their crops and their livestock and their businesses and all of things. And you had an entire community that was centered around that they were the people of God marked by the presence of God. And so when David stepped in as the ruler of a nation, he said, said, before I do anything else, before I lead, before I engage in business, before I go to war, before I even try to lead my family, I've got to make it a priority that the presence of God is central to everything that we do. And so translate that uh, thousands of years later, the ark of God, we are still the people of God. We're still the people of God, and we are still the people of God because of the presence of God. And although we don't have a physical Ark of the Covenant, nobody knows where it is or where it was. It may be destroyed. The people that uh, bring you the, his, the show on the History Channel, The Curse of Oak Island, think that it's buried under Oak Island, which is why I still watch it after they found nothing after six seasons. But you've got all of these different theories, like the, the Knights of the Templar. Did they get it? Did they steal it? Is it in France? Is it in Nova Scotia? Was it destroyed when, when the temple was destroyed, and all of these different theories, but honestly, it, does, it doesn't matter because we don't deal with the physical Ark of the Covenant. We are people of the presence of God, and if we make his presence our priority, then great things come to us after that, and so why would you, why would you get up, and why would you be here at six o'clock in the morning for the next 10 days? Here's what I got I to gotta convince you of, but I have a feeling once you see what's on the other side of this, you're going to be eager to come into his presence. Several things. Number one, let's make God's presence our 
priority. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these other things shall be added unto you. There was one theologian that said it this way, that desire is a shot fired in the way of eternity. See, the fact that you have something in your soul and in your gut that says something like this, there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be There's got to be better. There's got to be more joy. There's got to be more peace. That is actually proof that the thing that you long for exists. And what Jesus says is that if you will seek him first, if you will seek his presence first, then all of these things. Can I tell you, can I just tell you that what you are longing for in life, what you're looking for in life is the presence of God. I know you might think you're looking for something different. You're looking for the next raise or or you're looking for the next kitchen remodel or mama of uh, of newborn uh, children. You're looking for all of your children to take naps at the same time. And actually, that may work to bring you a little more peace. But, the, but above and beyond that, what, you're, what you are truly looking for in life is the presence of God. See, what the presence of God does is it takes the most seemingly insignificant thing in your life and it gives it meaning. But on the other side of that, on the other side, it takes everything with me, that, that you think would give you meaning in your life. And without the presence of God, it's hollow and it's insignificant. We just, I got on the, the shuttle this morning and, and uh, one of our, our world changer shuttle drivers said, did you hear the news? I said, what news? He said, Andrew Luck retired. Can, I, I, I just, I don't, I don't know Andrew. I don't know his spiritual condition. I don't know his family. I don't know anything about him. Here's what I wonder though. If you've put your entire life into football and it was taken from you, in the prime of your life, how do you find meaning on the other side of that? How do you find meaning? And, and you say, well, I'm not a professional football player, pastor. Yeah, but, but you've tried something. What's your football? What's your football? Was it getting good grades? Was it, was it getting the promotion? Was it getting married? Was it, was it making uh, uh, this amount of money? What, what, what was it? And when you achieved it, did it give you the joy that you thought it would? And when it was taken, and what if it was taken from you? Would you still wake up and have the same level of joy and have the same level of peace? And that's what God offers us through his presence if we make his presence our priority. And then I would just say this, let's do this together. David gathered the elite troops. And so here's what I think we can think. And, and they're both right, but, but, but I got to bring our focus to the together part. See, Jesus modeled for us a couple of ways to pray. He modeled for us the importance of getting away from the crowds to pray. So Jesus would do ministry in a crowd, and then he'd get alone with God and pray. And that's, that's a priority. It's important. We ought to do that every day of our life. But hear me, there are also scripturally and biblically, there are things that happen happen when we pray corporately that don't happen when we pray individually. Let me show you this biblically, okay? Joel chapter 1, when the people of God prayed corporately, there was a greater outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In 2 Chronicles, when people prayed corporately, God promised to heal the nation and the land. In Matthew chapter 18, the very words of Jesus, again I say to you, if any two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. 
In Acts chapter 12, when they prayed corporately, Peter was released from prison. In James chapter 5, when they prayed corporately, there was physical healing. And I just wonder what happens in Concord and Davidson and Charlotte when we gather corporately. Like what could happen? What lost nephew is going to come back to Jesus? What neighbor that doesn't want to have anything to do with God is going to be sitting with you in church on the other side of this? What physical ailment have you been struggling with that the doctors have given up all hope that God is going to bring dead things back to life? Like what miracle do you need? What is on the other side of these 10 days? Things happen when we pray corporately. Um, we will be we will be live streaming our, our prayer services because we realize that some of you have kiddos that catch the bus at 6.30 in the morning. We realize that some of you are, are on the road into Charlotte or over to Huntersville or, or, or some of you are in the middle of work. And so we will be live streaming. They won't be on Facebook, but if you go to our website, cfachurch.com and click watch now, we realize we've got family all across the United States, all across the world. And so those of you in other areas, last time we did 21 days of prayer, we had uh, testimonies of people that were getting up together and watching together in Virginia and we're praying together. And so we want to make that available. But can I, can I just ask you if you, if you don't, uh, one of our team members said it this way. They said, Pastor, listen, the people don't have to plan to come to 6 a.m. prayer. You just got to decide. Right? So, like, most of you probably don't have anything going on at 6 a.m. tomorrow. You just got to decide. Can I, can I implore you to decide to be in the house? Because there's something happens when we come together. There's something happens when we begin to seek the power and the presence of God, that God sees that and he responds to that. God saw David's priority of saying, before I do anything else, I've got to have the presence of God. The other thing that happens when we pray corporately is that we learn to pray. It's the best way to learn to pray. Uh, you'll, you'll grow a little bit by listening to a sermon about prayer, but you won't become a great prayer warrior by just hearing me preach about prayer. You'll learn from reading some books on prayer, but you'll never become a great prayer warrior just by reading books upon, uh, about prayer. The way you become a great prayer warrior, prayer is not so much taught as it is caught. The way that you increase the level of effectiveness of your prayer life is to get around men and women of God that are prayer warriors and you learn from them and you watch them and you do what they do. I learned to pray right in this auditorium from a lady by the name of Margie Dry. She's one of my heroes, and she taught me to pray. And I was young, and I don't want to be here at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I probably came in tired, and I probably came in grouchy, and God can even work with a bad attitude, so you, you can even come, and, and you can even come grouchy. And, and, but I came here, and Margie, would, she would come over, and she'd, she'd speak word, prophetic words into my life, and sometimes she'd pray for me, and sometimes she'd force me out of my comfort zone, and she'd teach me to pray for other people. I learned to pray I learned to pray by being around other people. That's how God wants you to take, how wherever you are in your prayer life, God wants to get you to next level. And I believe he'll get you to next level this week if you will make his presence a priority in your life. Let's not attempt to get God's presence on our terms. So this is where David messed up is when they brought the ark into Jerusalem, there were strict laws uh, for how you were to carry that ark of the covenant into Jerusalem. And, and can I remind us that we don't get God's presence on our terms? 
We get God's presence on his terms. And the problem here was that they tried to bring in the presence on a cart. And you say, well, what's the big deal? That seems like a good mode of transportation. It gets it from point A to B. But listen, in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 14, it clearly instructs people under the old covenant how to bring in the presence of God. 1 Chronicles 15, so the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the God of Israel. And the Levites carried, say carry, and the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with poles, and Mo, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. The problem was that David tried to cart the presence. You can't cart, you can't cart the presence. You can't pedal the presence like you pedal a popsicle on the beach. You, you can't pedal the presence and just call on the presence anytime that it's convenient and then push it aside when you don't want it. Like you can't say, God, I want your presence on an hour on Sunday morning so I feel good and worship. But God, I'm doing things in the rest of my week that I don't want you to see and so I'm just going to live over here. See, that doesn't work. You're not a carter of the presence. The Bible says on the other side, and here's the great news. You are a carrier of the presence. So hear me, teacher. When you step into the classroom, you don't step in in your own wisdom. You step into that classroom as a carrier of the presence of Almighty God. Parent, when you walk into your 13-year-old's room and you don't know what to say or how to get them to respond, you are a carrier of the presence of God. Businessman or businesswoman, when you step into that meeting this week and everybody's looking to you for answers and you don't have an answer, you are a carrier of the presence of God. When you step into your ministry assignment as a world changer and you step into that room or that shuttle or that parking lot, you are a carrier of the presence of God. And people got to respond to the presence. Come on, somebody give them praise because you're a carrier. The presence of God is not something we access when it's convenient for us. It's something that we walk in every day of our lives. It's something that we long for. It's something that we need. The presence of God will give meaning to your days. It'll give meaning to your victories. It'll take the sting out of every defeat. It'll turn your life around. Let's, let's, anticipate, let's anticipate an increase in the blessing of God. The Bible says in verse 11, the ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Y'all ever heard of Obed-Edom before? Like, unless you're familiar with this passage, Obed-Edom is not one of the, like, maybe, maybe um, hopefully there are people that you're here today and your friend brought you, your family member brought you, and, and you didn't grow up in church, and you're like, I'm a little nervous coming into church. Don't worry. This is, you're, you're why we're here. So, so if this sounds strange to you, don't worry. We'll try to teach you all through this. But you say, I never heard of Obed-Edom. It's okay. Most of the people that grew up in church don't know who Obed-Edom is anyway. Like he's not, he, the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament, they look back on the people of the Old Testament and they put together this Hall of Fame faith list of like, here's the amazing, here's Daniel and here's David and here's, here's all of these people of faith and Obed-Edom doesn't make the list. In other words, in other words, Obed-Edom wasn't anybody special 
But Obed-Edom got the blessing of God just because he invited the presence of God into his life and into his house. You don't have to be somebody special for God to bless you. You just got to be hungry for his presence. You just got to be thirsty for his presence. You just got to want him. By the way, can I encourage some of you to even take another step and add a layer of fasting Add a layer of some level of fasting over the next 10 days because here's what fasting will do. A physical hunger translates into spiritual hunger. And if it's been a while since you've been hungry for the presence of God, can you give up some meals? And can you say, God, as much as I want a pizza right now, I want your presence more. Your physical hunger will sometimes, it'll unlock something in you and you will be hungry spiritually. You know what uh, fasting does as well? Here's what fasting does. Because in our society, we don't know what it's like to be in lack. We don't know what it's like to be in lack. And so what fasting does is fasting, um, well, let me back up. And when we don't know how to be in lack, we take blessings for granted And the things that used to bring us joy three years ago don't bring us joy anymore. We just need more. We need we need uh, we need one more. And you you fill in the blank. Here's what fasting will do. Fasting will reset your soul so that the simple things in life will bring you joy again. Wouldn't wouldn't that be amazing? That you didn't you wouldn't need to spend money to make you happy any anymore. You wouldn't need the new car. You wouldn't need the new clothes. You wouldn't need, then these things aren't sinful. But do you see in our society how we just, we're so used to stuff that stuff becomes a substitute for the hunger of the presence of God. There's nothing wrong with the stuff. You just don't need most of the stuff. What you, what your soul is hungry for is your soul is hungry for the presence of God. And then another thing about Obed-Edom, did you notice where he was from? Did you catch that in the, in the story? It said that Obed-Edom was from, was from Gath. I, and I don't know if you remember this, but there was another individual that David had a significant encounter with in his life that was also from Gath. Do you remember who that was? It was Goliath, right? Goliath of Gath. And here's what King David almost did. King David almost left the presence of God in the place of his last victory. We can never leave the presence of God in the place of our last victory because we need a fresh outpouring and we need the presence of God today. And I'm thankful for what God did in your life five minutes ago, but you need him now. I'm thankful for what God did in this church five years ago, but we need him now. We need a move of God in our city today. Our kids need him today. We need them today. You've got such situations that you're stepping into in your life, in your work, in your family, in your ministry that you need a fresh anointing. You need a new anointing. Yesterday's anointing isn't going to get tomorrow's promises. And so we got to come hungry. We got to come ready. We got to come anticipating. We got to come ready. I hope you're, I hope you're ready already. Like on, on, on uh, Saturdays, I'll come in here to this auditorium and, uh, and I'll be preparing, kind of praying through and going through one more time the message. And usually I'll just anticipate and get real excited about, about Sunday. And I did that yesterday and, and I did, but can I be honest with you? Like I was more excited 
about Monday. I just, let's fill this place. Like, let's fill this place. Let's, let's take some days and let's, let's, I know it's a sacrifice, but the reward is greater than the sacrifice. Let's fill this place with people and let's fill this place with praise and, and let's fill this place with our prayers and let's come expecting and let's come anticipating and let's come expecting a, a, a move of God and a fresh outpouring and let's anticipate, anticipate. Here's what I believe the Lord wants to do. Let's anticipate an increase in joy. I, I, I believe that even, even now in this moment, I'm gonna read a scripture and somebody, you've been lacking joy in your life and the Holy Spirit's going to give you a little bit of an appetizer right now of what he wants to do in your life during the next 10 days. He's going to increase your joy. You've been sad and you don't know why. You've been, you, you, you've been uh, withdrawn and you don't know why. The Bible says, and David danced before the Lord with all of his might because when the presence of God comes, you can't help but celebrate wearing a priestly garment. And so David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy. The Bible says in Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy. Joy is not found outside of the presence of God, but inside the presence of God is the fullness of joy. And so somebody's spirit in the house is already quickening. It's awakening. And the Holy Spirit's saying, that's for you. I want to give you more joy. And the Holy Spirit is even beginning to fill you with this. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. In the 16th century, there was a monastic brother by the name of uh, Brother Lawrence. And he wrote a small book. I would encourage you to read it. It's called The Practice of the Presence of God. And Brother Lawrence had a nickname that he went by. It's a, probably you wouldn't choose this nickname, but Brother Lawrence was known as the Lord of the Pots and Pans. Like, how'd you like that nickname? What are you good at? He's good at doing dishes. He's, he's good at loading the dishwasher, which is an art by the way, and there is a right way to do it, okay? There's certain things that go on the bottom and certain things that go on the top. And don't load things where it's gonna make it hard for me to open the, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just helping you. I'm just helping your family. There's a right way to load the dishwasher. But brother, brother Lawrence is known as the Lord of the pots and pans. And the reason for this is because he wrote about finding peace and joy in the presence of of God just during the simplest mundane tasks of life. Wouldn't it be wonderful in your life? And I'm happy for the big events. I, I hope you get to take the grandkids to Disney and I, I'm happy for you to go to the mountains and the beach and take vacations. And, and I'm, I'm glad for those moments where, where it's, those, it's those highs but that's not where we live. We live in the world of raising kids and doing laundry and driving in traffic. And so if you're always looking for the next big event to give you joy, you'll live 98% of your life without joy because most 
of life is mundane. And that's what Instagram won't tell you. But most of life is folding socks and putting them in the drawer. And then they get dirty again. And most of life is typing that email that you don't want to send. But what if you were able to access the presence of God in the mundane and in the ordinary? And what if, what if just the ordinary things like waiting for your kid to get out of soccer practice, like what if those things brought you joy? What if those things brought you peace? I'm telling you, it's possible. I know our society's oversaturated and our senses on bombarded, but what if this week, what if we hit the reset button and say, none of this matters, God, without your very presence, don't send me from this place until I have your presence. We need desperately the presence of God. A sermon without the presence is called a self-help talk. Worship without the presence is called music. A ministry without the presence is a community program. A group without the presence is a social club. A household without the presence is a place of tension and fighting. A life without the presence is meaningless, but with the presence of God, worship becomes an encounter. Atmospheres shift. People are set free and miracles take place. Sermons with the presence of God become God Almighty speaking to us. We don't get information. We get an impartation. A ministry with the presence of God, you disappear, you become invisible, and people see Jesus through you. A household with the presence of God is a place of refuge. It's a place of joy. It's a place of strength. We need the presence of Almighty God. Come on, somebody, give them a shout in the house for the presence of God. Can we stand? God wants to do something in these moments together. Just sensing something in my spirit even that's different than our our previous services. There's somebody in the house today that you didn't come forward for prayer, but you are facing something that without a miracle, your situation is dead. I'm telling you, that was one of the, there were many of our staff that were, that were gathered around Hendricks and saw that body laying there for minutes without breath before God raised that boy back to life. We've seen, we've seen this. We've seen this. God can raise your situation back to life. And and for some reason, you hesitated coming, coming down for prayer. And God wants you to know it's okay. He's still got you. God's about to breathe into that situation. He's about to breathe into a kidney or breathe into a lung or breathe into something in your body that's, that's shutting down. And the doctors have told you it's shutting down. And God wants to breathe and he wants to reignite that. But here's, here's why. Here's why Jesus wants to do this. So so I do believe that we need to respond and God blesses our action. But here's what you got to know about your action that in and of itself is it's not enough. I want you to see this final thing in this story. So as David brought the presence back into Jerusalem the right way, he said, he said <laughs> David learned his lesson. He said, put that card away. I ain't dealing with that cart again. We're going to carry the presence. And the Levites got the, and they put the poles on the, their shoulder. And, and, and they took six steps. So they took one, two, three, 
four, now they're, now they're moving, now they're, now they're on the right path, now they're in the right direction, six steps. And David said, stop, because watch the six is the number of man and it's the number of incompletion. And so man in his effort or woman in her effort can only get so far. So David said, stop at six. And he said, he said, now there needs to be a sacrifice because to access the presence of God always requires a sacrifice. And David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf, but we're not gonna be doing that at six o'clock in the morning. Somebody say, thank God that I don't gotta stab a cow to get into the presence of God because 2,000 years ago, there was a perfect sacrifice and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus, church. And he died upon the cross and he was resurrected. And so you, in and of yourself, you you only got six in you. You got six and you'll stop and you'll say, but I want to be over there. You can't get to where you want to be without Jesus in yourself. You're lacking. You don't have it, but Jesus is enough for your situation. Jesus is enough. He's more than enough for your situation. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, you say, Pastor, I've got something dead in my life and I need it to come alive. The doctor's report is death. The, the, the report that the enemy is trying to tell me, it's death, but I need it to come alive. I just want you to lift a hand right where you're at and we're just going to ask, ask for the power and the presence of God to meet you right now right now over bodily organs over relationships over situations a marriage that somebody's trying to proclaim death over that marriage we proclaim life in the name of jesus in the name of jesus with heads still bowed and eyes still closed you said pastor that's me i, I stopped at six Maybe you're trying to be a good person. Maybe you're not, but you're stuck on six. Maybe you're trying to earn God's favor and you're stuck on six. God wants to add that seventh step to you right now. You say, Pastor, I'm here and I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Pastor, I feel like I'm walking around, but I'm not awake. I feel like I'm going through the motions, but I'm not alive. And I need Jesus to breathe his breath of life into my lungs so that I can live wide awake to the love of God and fully alive to my purpose with heads bowed and eyes closed. We'll pray for you right where you're at, but as an acknowledgement to the Lord, would, uh, when, when, when I get to three, I just want you to shoot up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I need Jesus. I need him as my Lord and Savior. Ready at every location. One, two, three. Go ahead and lift your hand and you couldn't put it right back down. I gotcha. Let's pray together, church. Let's Let's pray together. Just say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I can't make it on my own. I need you. I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross and that you rose again. Jesus, come into my life. Come into my heart so that I can live wide awake to the love of God and fully alive to my purpose. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's celebrate together. Now, don't stop on six, but I'll see you at six. 
I'll see you at six. High five your neighbors. Say, I'll see you at six. If you said yes to Jesus, our Wide Awake Fully Alive area right outside of these doors. If you are a VIP outside of these doors to the left, we love you. Keep loving Jesus and changing the world. We'll see you tomorrow morning, CFA. Hey there, and thank you so much again for joining us for CFA Church Live. If you made the decision to live wide awake and fully alive for the first time, we want to hear about it. Send us a message and we'll get somebody to partner with you in this new walk of your life. Also, if you haven't had the opportunity to visit one of our beautiful campuses, next week is the great time to do so. You can go to cfachurch.com and plan out your visit that way. Until then, I pray you continue loving Jesus and changing the world. Thank you.